Amen. Well, I have a number of things uh, I want to present here today. Uh, I've entitled the message, What About the Dinosaurs? Before we get into that, just some things. Uh, we do have, uh, from time to time, we make mention of different books that uh, don't do it often, but uh, books I really think you ought to have. Uh, Roger uh, taught a class in our Grace Academy. We're currently not teaching a class, but he did. And uh, Henry Morris's book on the Genesis record is a very, very good commentary on Genesis. And we do have quite a number of these that were left over. You know what, 10 or 15, Roger? Yeah, and we'd like to make those available. We got them on Amazon, so you pay a lot less money. We certainly don't make any money. We want to keep a couple in the library, but uh, we... Uh, we'd like to, uh, to, if you would like to buy it, if you don't have the money now, just see Roger and uh, take this home. This will help you think through the early chapters of Genesis. Also, I have some other books up here by my esteemed professor, Dr. John C. Wickham, uh, on the early earth and the world that perished. Uh, the, it's an introduction to biblical catastrophism. And the Genesis Flood, that was his uh, doctoral dissertation made readable. And these books are available uh, for you to come up. I'll put them on the front chair if you want to write down the titles. Do not walk away with these. These are mine. <laughs> I've given away books. People borrowed. They borrow them permanently. I'm sorry about that. I've done the same thing, and I'm sorry about that. These Don't touch these. <laughs> write down the title. These, we'll have some in the back, or Roger will get these available, and you take that, give them your money as out of your sweaty palm. Take them. If you don't have the money today, bring it next week. Love you to have those, okay? Just, uh, all right, what about the dinosaurs? What, what about them? Well, uh, let me begin by saying, uh, even from the very beginning, Satan sought to attack the Word of God. You, you know that, don't you? From Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan said to Adam and Eve in that pristine garden there, when there was no sin and no death with our first parents, and incidentally, um, and uh, I uh, unashamedly believe in a young earth. The Bible doesn't say young earths and, and how we build that and come to that understanding, but I don't think man is, uh, the creation has been any more than six or eight or maybe 10,000 years, period. Period. You can do some mathematical numbers and, and see the way populations grow. And if we've been millions of years, we'd be standing on each other's heads. The world would be really crowded. Satan has been attacking the Word of God from the beginning. He said to Eve, has God really said? That's an attack against God's revelation. Has God really said? You think he stopped asking that question? That inquisitive question, that question that really sought to undermine Eve's faith in God's Word? No way. He's been at it ever since. It's robbed the hearts and minds of people, uh, students in schools and other places. Uh, has God really said? And God's word has been made a mockery. There's only one book God ever gave, and it was not the Koran. I'm sorry to tell you that. No, I'm glad to tell you that. It was the word of God. That's it. And you know what? He's never changed his mind. There's never been an update. Oh, oops. No oops. Oops. 
No oops. God said what he said. He always does. And he meant what he said. We'll look at it later. Jesus, who is the creator, Colossians 1, he is the creator and the sustainer. He made the dinosaurs. Do you know that? He never changed his mind. And he put his stamp of approval on Noah and Noah's flood and, 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 and didn't accommodate himself. You see some, well, he's a good man. He just accommodated. You're not a good man if you know it's a lie. And he had no trouble with it. In fact, he said, that's the sign of the last generation. Same as in the days of Noah, people giving in marriage, eating and drinking and carrying on with little thought of eternity and of God and sin and judgment. So it was in the day of Noah. So it'll be in the last time. And we are knocking on the last time right now. And Peter had no problem with it either. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said there's going to be the embracing of what is called uniformitarianism in the last days. That's where we are. What is that, you say? Uniformitarian. It means all things just simply continue as they've always been. Well, that's the underlying thesis of evolution. The, the current... Uh, 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 effects that we see and the way things happen and just use as a clock and measure backwards. And now we begin to understand the origins. Uniformitarianism. And God has a word for that. It never happened that way. Because there have been such things as catastrophes that God has brought into his world such as the, the universal deluge, Noah's flood, that smashed and buried everything underwater. Even the highest mountains were covered. Gone forever is that ancient world. Gone. Except for eight people and those that survived in a floating barge, if you will. That's what it was. Well, today's no different in our introduction. Satan is still up to his antics. And the trustworthiness of the Bible is being assaulted on all fronts. And one of the most successful, and I don't say that without uh, a lot of thought, is Satan's assault from the study of origins, cosmology. If evolution is correct, then the Bible is wrong. It's not reliable. It's not trustworthy and throw it out. So, though we're preaching a, a message I'm teaching today on what happened to the dinosaurs, really that's the sub-message. The real message is, is the trustworthiness and the reliability and the confidence that you and I need to have in the only book that God ever gave. That's the great issue here. And Satan knows it. And so there's been a whole Ponzi scheme that's been, been offered to our day. It's not just Madoff and his nonsense of dollars and cents. This whole Ponzi scheme of where did we come from and all the rest. And I guess really there are no ultimate uh, values and everything is relative. And I really shouldn't be here. And, and we're cosmic accidents and we're no more than animals. That's all part of this great satanic Ponzi scheme. You say, well, what happens to certain folks that claim to love the Lord or are brilliant beyond degree? How is it that they may capitulate? We had in our area Judge Jones. 
His decision was deeply disappointed uh, when he, he falsely handled, incorrectly handled uh, the Denver, the whole situation down there with Origins. And he let the ACLU write the opinion completely. Did you know that? What happens to folks? There's a lot of academic pressure that's put on. If you want to be anything other than some sort of uh, 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 ancient type of non-thinking, pre-scientific person, I mean, if you want to be educated and you want to really be thought well of, then you will embrace evolution as uh, origins and Darwinianism and neo-Darwinianism. Well, I'm not here to impress anybody. Now, I say, let God be true and every man a liar. And if origins in Genesis chapter 1 and 11 are not historically accurate, it's narrative, it's not poetry. Some try and do a fancy dance around that. You know, I, with a hermeneutic, well, this is sort of poetry and this and that, and it didn't really mean, then I'm out of here. Don't look for me showing up next week. Is this not, you know, a sort of, well, you know, it's like, uh, going to a smorgasbord. We'll take a little of this and a little that, and I won't take... No. If, if, if it, the Bible's not right there, then the whole thing collapses. And that's why it's an insidious attack of Satan in our public schools and universities and in the culture and in the media, and it's just generally accepted. Hey, we came from ants and uncles and apes and pond scum, and there we are. Well, don't be duped. Don't be stupid. Don't be a fool. Open your eyes, rub them, and see the world that's really here. God made it all in your body, in the way God made your body, in the balance, and the symmetry, and the beauty. He made it all. It's all his. I don't care how many letters a man or woman may have after their name. I don't care if it's in print. Most things in print ought to be burned. I'm not saying burn the books, but there are a lot of them that are garbage. I've read a lot of them. I'm saying there's one book that presents biblical cosmology, origins, and it's the Word of God. One book. It's not one of many. There's one book. It's not a book of, of, uh, of origins, but when God speaks on origins, it's, it's accurate. It's accurate. And great men of science, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, and others through the centuries, have embraced biblical origins. Even our own Robert Dr. Albright, brilliant chemist, chief of chemistry at, at Roman Haas. He's not here today, but absolutely would agree with every of this. Don't believe that. All scientists agree. That's nuts. That's crazy. No way. But there's great pressure, and you can't get the advanced positions, and you'll never be published, and this and that, in this monolithic, satanic attack against the Word of God. I see it everywhere. I've been the recipient of some of the very best teachers of our days, and it's a trust that I value very much in helping me and my early mind work through a lot of these things as I was a product of a public education as well. Well, if evolution is correct and the Bible is wrong and it's not reliable, I say to you, throw it out. You can't even trust anything, even the words of Jesus, even the, the whole rest of it, you see. And then next week, we're going to continue in another thought. Well, what about day age? Doesn't that feel? What about the gap theory? I mean, we're educated. Do we sort of, we're going to talk about that. How do we view that? What does the Bible say? 
Well, often, in their introduction, the dinosaurs are presented as exhibit A for the truthfulness of evolution. We are told that they existed 65 million years ago on planet Earth. And furthermore, we are told all scientists agree. Well, that's an enormous avalanche of pressure to overcome. First of all, it's a blatant lie, and, uh, but it's used, isn't it? Well, how do we as, as Bible-believing Christians handle this assault upon the Word of God? How do we do that? How do we answer? You know, we're to give an answer for every man that asks for the hope that lies within us. How do we deal with these issues as we sort through the data, the culture, the classroom, the textbook, uh, the cinema, everywhere where this whole thought of, of dinosaurs, exhibit A, therefore uh, evolution is true. How do we do that? How do we answer, folks? Well, how do we, how do we answer? When did, they, when did they live? And what happened to them? And the, what does the Bible say about them? Does it say anything? Well, I think what we need to do uh, as we would do with anything, right? Any subject, any issue. Number one, Lord, let's make me humble. Humble, Lord. May I receive what your word has to say. It prayerfully, humbly search the scriptures and see what God has to say to us about whatever issue. And this issue, we're dealing with creation, ultimate origins, the question of the dinosaurs. Well, there are three considerations revealing the trustworthiness of the Bible as we think biblically about early earth history. Remember, I just want to say this, because we get duped and we stop thinking. Your Bible presents reality. This is reality. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. Your TV set, I'm sorry to tell you, is not reality. That stream of pictures is edited of what someone thinks is important and what they want you to see. It's amazing, even with some of these protests that go on, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. They'll get, they do it for the cameras. And then you find out that there were 90 people there with signs. You go like, 90 people with signs? That wasn't even worthy of, of wasting time on the air. You're seeing what someone has already edited into their, their world and life view as to what's important. Your TV is not reality. Your classroom teacher is not infallible and may not present reality. A textbook, be discerning. Just because it's on a printed page doesn't mean it's authoritative. We have that idea. Or even the culture at large. Well, what's the first consideration helping us to embrace with utter confidence the Word of God? Note a number of relevant biblical passages that touch on the issue, and there are many of them, to help us humbly, prayerfully accept what God has told us. I remind you, there was no man there at this point in time. None. At the very first of the, of the creation, none. We're not talking science here, we're talking philosophy, we're talking worldview. Only God then can tell us what happened. Job chapter 40, take your Bible and look at Job, we're going to look at Job and then Genesis. Job, uh, in Job 40, God is speaking to Job, he has, uh, he has uh, allowed him to be attacked by Satan, he has suffered terribly and uh, has complained uh, to God. And uh, God, in verse 38, chapter 38 and following, 
begins with a series of questions to Job. Stand up. I want you to answer me, Job. And he begins to rattle off question after question, and it absolutely overwhelms this godly man, Job. Now, I say to you, Job uh, is the oldest book in the Bible. Did you know that? Uh, it's the oldest book, and it's, it's probably going back to around 2000 B.C., maybe 2200, maybe 1900. The best I can tell, it's around that period of time. I say it's the oldest because there's no mention of Abraham, who was, uh, who was after him by a couple hundred years, maybe, maybe a little more. There's no mention of Moses' law, and so it's, uh, it's usually embraced by those who love the Word that uh, it uh, recounts the oldest historical portion of the Word of God. But it's an excellent source for our early study of ultimate origins. If you hold to and embrace the biblical history that the Bible presents, the Lord brings Job to repentance by asking, as I said earlier, uh, many, many questions, and finally he asks him to look at creation. And in Job chapter 40, verse 15, if you would find that, let's, uh, let's begin to see in the series of all these questions what God has to say to Job. In 40, verse 15, God's, God is speaking, look at the behemoth which I made along with you, which feeds on grass like an ox, what strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar tree. The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like rods of iron. He ranks numero uno, number one among the works of God. Yet his maker can approach him with a sword. The hills bring him their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant he lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh, the lotus plants conceal him in their shadow. The poplar trees by the stream surround him. When the river rages, he is not alarmed at flood stage. He is secure, though the Jordan, it's the Jordan River, should surge against his mouth. Can anyone capture him by the eyes or trap him or pierce his nose? Let's stop here just for a second. Look at Behemoth. God is saying to Job and bringing the repentance, look around you at this world. Where were you when I made all these things? You're not much. I'm in charge. You know almost nothing. Of course, Job refuses to answer him at the end of this. Look at behemoth, and you say, well, what is a behemoth? I suggest you we have a, here we have a clue to our problem and the question of the dinosaurs. Well, what is a behemoth? Well, in the Hebrew, the word means giant beast, a skyscraper of an animal. He is enormous. Now, some of the Bibles uh, in their footnotes are completely wrong. If your Bible in the footnotes suggests that it's a hippo, and some do, I suggest that you take close inspection of the tail of a hippopotamus. They are not the size of the cedars of Lebanon, which are enormous. In case you're wondering once and for all, 
Study notes in our Bible may be helpful, but they are not inspired by God. Note that. Well, since 1822, Mary Ann Mantell, did you know that was her name? Mary Ann Mantell? In 1822, she was the first one to discover a dinosaur bone. It was an enormous find. Her husband was uh, an amateur, uh, uh, one who studied such things. And uh, since 1822, at that point, we have found... 10,000 skeletons of such, tens of thousands of skeletons of such animals, these enormous giant beasts, these behemoths, we don't call them that, we call them dinosaurs. Did you know what the word dinosaur means? It means terrible lizard. I agree, that's what they are, terrible. But verse 19, they rank first among all of God's creation in size and in prominence. They're enormous. They're enormous. Today, the largest land animal that we have, did you know, is the African bull elephant. The African bull elephant is the largest. But the dinosaurs, through the bones that we have found, are 20 times, 30 times, and 40 times as large than the bull elephant. And the bull elephant spends its whole day like a growing teenage boy eating all day long. 600 pounds of food a day. Imagine how many refrigerators that would be in your home. Morning to evening. And yet the dinosaurs eclipse them by many times over. And therefore, many scientists wonder how they could ever have existed on our planet. Some were 100 feet long, and they weighed over, get this, not 200 pounds, 200,000 pounds. Enormous creatures. Enormous. Oh, lost my glasses. <laughs> and we're going to look at some of them. We, we have a couple of them here. Diplodocus. Here's the Diplodocus. Let me give you a little information about uh, the Diplodocus. It was one of the longest dinosaurs that ever prowled the earth. He was 100 feet long. Uh, that's longer than seven big cars lined up waiting uh, at the light to turn green. His name, Diplodocus, means double beam. The, the way his neck came out, that's a beam-like. And the, the tail is like a second beam. Um, with such a long neck in front of him, he needed an equally long tail behind him just to keep his body balanced like some sort of seesaw. His neck was so long that uh, he could uh, have looked through the window of the fourth-story building. The Plotticus every day was an all-day feast. Uh, he could weave his long, graceful neck in and out of the treetops, or he could drop down to eat plants on the floor of the forest. His teeth were shaped like short pencil stubs. Because his teeth were not very strong, perhaps, he could take only small bites of soft water plants. The Platicus had to spend most of his time eating hundreds of pounds of plants to feed his huge body. One other thing about the Platicus, he had a hole on the very top of his head. Uh, perhaps he breathed through this hole. He could walk on the bottom of a deep lake. We see that sort of with the 
with the uh, air hole on whales and, and, and dolphins, right? Dolphins are the same. He could walk on the bottom. He could breathe easily, poking his head out of the water or sitting in a swamp. Brontosaurus, another one. Some of you will know this uh, well. Brontosaurus or Apatiosaurus, he was recently renamed. Um, He was not as long as Diplodocus, but he was much heavier. He weighed as much as 40 ton or 80,000 pounds. Eight elephants put together would equal one Brontosaurus. Because he was so uh, heavy, scientists thought that uh, when he walked, he must have made a noise like thunder. So they named him Thunder Lizard. Bronto means thunder and Saurus is lizard. A man standing on the shoulders of another man could barely reach the shoulders of Brontosaurus. His 30-foot-long tail must have made him look as though he were dragging a tree behind him. His 20-foot-long neck put his head high into the trees where he could easily eat all the leaves that he needed. His 75-foot-long body made him almost as long as two school buses end-to-end. God equipped Brontosaurus with thick, straight legs full of muscle to hold up all that weight. Each leg ended with a padded foot, which were buried, uh, were buried five stubby toes. They made giant uh, footprints, enough for a child to sit in. Uh, let's see. Let's, let, let's move on to another. Brachiosaurus. Did we, did we sit? Do we have Brachiosaurus? He's the the or, or he is uh, he's an enormous dinosaur, uh, but he's he is much bigger than uh, the previous. Again, he eighty to hundred tons made him enormous. Uh, again, he had the nostril on the top of his head as a breathing hole. Uh, Ultrasaurus. I don't think I even have that down. Uh, weighed uh, 200,000 pounds. That would be about the weight of 6,000 of all your friends put together. <laughs> enormous, enormous creatures. I mean, uh, life can be tough now in the fallen world, right? But I'm, when you look at these creatures, you are certainly got to be struck by the reality it could be far worse if they were still walking around. And we'll look at T-Rex in a little bit later here. These were enormous, enormous creatures. Uh, These huge animals had brains the size of a chipmunk. Did you know that? They did. They were the ultimate pinheads of creation. (laughs) There was one that had a a nerve ganglion down at the base of his spine and a a chipmunk-type size brain up here from... Wickham used to say, you could say every time he had a thought, he had an afterthought. And the ganglion down there told him which way to sway the tail. I mean, your brain and body, by comparison, your brain is 10,000 times larger than uh, these dinosaurs. Well, uh, being reptiles, and it's believed that they were reptiles because... They could never have grown that big in the world uh, in comparison to the mammal, the uh, African bull elephant eating 600 pounds of food a day just for body heat. 
It's believed that they were reptiles, that they never stopped growing. They would get so big that they couldn't even walk. They sat in swamps and rivers and had their food float to them. Job 40, verse 21, isn't it interesting? In the text we just read, that's exactly where God told Job to look to see what I believe was one of the last truly great dinosaurs sitting in the Jordan River near Jericho. You know, Jericho is the lowest spot on earth, uh, 1,300 feet below sea level. Uh, Jericho is the city of palms. That's what it means. I've been there numbers of times. It's, uh, it's like South Florida. It's beautiful. It's warm. You could go 25 miles south from Jerusalem, and you, were, you didn't have to go to Florida to enjoy the warmth. You could simply go to Jericho in the subtropic, tropical uh, feeling there, and that's where the la- one of the truly last dinosaurs was sitting at the time of Job when God was bringing him to repentance. Jericho and the Jordan at that point and at that place were a permanent pocket of heat and, humil- and humidity. And there he was sitting. Wow. Imagine that. Let me stop for a minute. How many of you like the Flintstones? Yeah, I grew up watching them, right? Fred and Wilma and Dino. I got news for you. That was closer to the reality of really what was than what you read and think and hear about in even high places. Fred Flintstone and Wilma, and here comes Dino. Not bad. Not bad. Job is sitting there, and God says, Look at him. I made him. Look at Job 41, another scripture that touches on this. Verse 1. Can, God says to Job, Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with a gentle word? Will he make an agreement with you for for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons? his head with fishing spears. If you lay a hand on him, you'll remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me, God is saying to Job. Who has a claim against me, Job thought he did, that I must pay. Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, his strength, and his graceful form. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares open the doors of his mouth, ringed with his fearsome teeth? His back has a row of shield, tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between them. So on and so forth. We don't have time to read it all. Uh, His chest is hard like a rock. Um, uh, Look at 25. When he rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before nothing. 
Oh, also it says he, he, in verse 18, he snorts throwing out a flash of light. I'll talk about, I have something. Do you know there's a beetle that God made even in existence today that in the hindsight carries natural gas with it and in the presence of an enemy, it actually exerts this gas that uh, is, it, it, it would be ignitable. And so we see maybe a hint and a shadow here of what God was talking about and the ability of some of these uh, Leviathan. He's an amazing creature. Look at verse 26, or 25. When this Leviathan rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before his thrashing. The sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron he treats like straw, bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make him flee. Look at 30. His undersides are jagged potsherds leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sludge. He makes the depths, that's the sea, churn like a boiling cauldron. He stirs up the sea like a pot of oil, ointment. Behind him, he leaves a glistening wake like an ocean liner out at the sea. Look at the way. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is his equal, a creature without fear. He looks down on all that are haughty. He is king over all that's proud. Well, verse 40, uh, chapter 41, Leviathan. He was enormous. He must have been truly one of the last great aquatic dinosaurs. Mentioned the last time, and we won't look at it, but Psalm 104, verse 26, the psalmist mentions uh, him, and it's the last mention of him in our Bible. You know that uh, we live on a planet of total extinction? You know that, don't you? I mean, there, there are life forms that once lived that you and I will never see. They're gone. You know, I know sometimes people say, well, the unicorn. Well, maybe there were unicorn. There seems to be a memory of it in mythology and whatnot. How about the saber-toothed tiger? Gone forever. You can see a list of animals that are put on the extinction list. I remember being in Scranton once at the uh, museum uh, there of natural science, and, and they had an enormous tree. Uh, and they cut, their, they cut it, and they had all the rings on it. And I don't remember if it was hundreds of years old or something. It was one of the natural uh, trees that was, was growing in Pennsylvania back when. And then they began to show all the life forms of animals that since that tree began, those years that are now extinct and gone forever. Such is our death and dying planet that we live in. I mean, if Adam could come back and visit, and we took him to the zoo, you know, let's take him to the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago, say, look at these apes, and look at these tigers, and look at the, he'd go like, where are the rest of them? Where are they? Gone forever. That's the planet. That's the way to think about it. That's the reality of it. Gone forever. Sometimes just the conditions on earth changed after the flood and they couldn't survive in a world that was not subtropical or tropical. And some through man's uh, uh, killing them and wiping them out. Gone forever. 
gone. That's our planet. Think right about that. And how about, see, Genesis 1, everything that ever existed came into being during creation week. Everything. Exodus 20, verse 11. If you, if you missed it, uh, he says during the, the, uh, uh, that he gave the Sabbath, Exodus 20, 11, for in six days God made the heavens and the earth and everything, everything within them. And that includes over a thousand different types of, of dinosaurs. Genesis 1.21, on the fifth day of creation week, all the sea creatures, the fish, and all that were in the oceans and in the waters were formed out of nothing. It's one day, one 24-hour period before Adam and Eve were created. Number two, in Genesis 1.25, then on the sixth day, the Bible tells us that all uh, air-breathing, land-dwelling animals were made by God. It was the same day that God made Adam and Eve the crown of his creation. Do you know that? If you're a man or a woman and you are one or the other, uh, you are part of the crown of creation. The evolutionist has no place, can't figure out where man fits in, can't even answer the basic questions of life. You are the crown of that. Now, you're a lot less, and so am I, coming from our first parents with inherited genetic diseases and the like, and the short lifespans that we live today, but you are. And Genesis 125 presents that. This is the same. All the living creatures, animals and mankind, were vegetarians at first. But we find that in Genesis 1, verse 30. And some of you are vegans today, right? You know, I, I don't eat any of that, that animal stuff. Well, that's okay. I'm going to have my hamburger. All right? Yeah. There you go. Now watch it. Some people are weeping now, Mark. All right. It's all right. Okay. So when did it begin? It began after Genesis 3. The man became a flesh eater. There was no uh, Texas uh, roadhouses till after Genesis 3. None. No fillets. You say, I, I like veal. Well, no veal. I mean, that all came. Death entered through Adam, Genesis 3. Think right about origins. Eat your veggies. I like them too. And it's all right to eat meat in that. Well, Genesis 3, death entered. Well, second consideration quickly because time is going. God's judgment of a worldwide flood dramatically changed the whole earth. It was a catastrophe, catastrophism. You see, uh, folks like to say, well, it's a, the world is a closed system. There's no God. It's just a machine. We don't know where it came from. If it did, it was self-made. Please, don't say such things. We, we should, you know, people like that need to be put away. Nothing ever made itself. Most of you are wearing watches. You know what? Uh, I don't care how many zillion years and how much chance, that thing would never form on your wrist. Don't you believe, do you have enough chance and time I could get this nice watch on my wrist? Impossible. Don't be duped by that nonsense. Everything that was ever made was made creation week. Then in Genesis 6, 7, 8, we have God's judgment of the world that was. 
and the earth would never be the same. The original earth conditions are gone forever. And with it, the dinosaurs, most of them, and others faced extinction. For we live on a dying planet. Conditions are gone forever. You see, the Bible tells that there was a canopy vapor, the heavens and, and the water vapor above the earth. We believe that it was like a greenhouse effect. And all over the world, the temperatures were warm, tropical, lush, and green. And the radiation effect was shielded from this, 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 uh, this vapor barrier. Therefore, radiation, the effects that age you and I, though we like a tan, right? The aging effect of that and the damage to our cells and all the rest and the shortening of life, that all collapsed at Noah's flood. And with that, conditions changed forever. Isn't it amazing? In the, in, and out in the northwest, on the very top of the highest mountains, they have marine life on the very top of it. Amazing. It collapsed, and the earth was forever changed. The oceans were deeper, the mountains were higher, and maybe there was a separation of the, of the continents at that point, after the flood. It looked completely changed. And now there was a temperature inversion because the greenhouse gas conditions, gone forever. And the cold air, because the ark landed in, the, in, in Turkey area, southern Russia, Turkey, Mount Ararat, and cold air rushed to meet the face of these animals that they had never known before. And if they wandered into northern places or too far south, they died instantly. And only the ones the, uh, that were used to the subtropic tropics like dinosaurs, only the ones that survived made it to warm places like Jericho, like where they were sitting, where God said, look at behemoth. And there in the Jordan River, the rest of them died that came out of the ark. God, you see, uh, brought uh, a, uh, all, two of uh, each kind of animal into the ark. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a Noah running around collecting them. God brought them all, even the d- dinosaurs. And not the huge ones, please. Brought the young ones, the ones who could reproduce and hibernation. I believe they were hibernating. God put them to sleep in their, in their stalls on this enormous floating barge. And notice in Genesis 7, 7 and following, even the birds. There are those that will deny that the flood was universal. That was some sort of Johnstown flood. You know, it's over there but not here. Or Agnes, you know, we got wiped out here a little bit. But not universal. To do that, you've got to tear out pages of your Bible. And here's a hint. Even the birds went onto the ark. Why, why, if it was only local, they could have flown up. We're going over here. We're going to Perry County. We're flying south, right? No, even the birds needed to go in. <clears throat> and that's not Larry Bird. It's the flapping kind. And they went in too, or they would have instantly perished in this judgment of God upon planet Earth. Now, B, the ark is far bigger than most people ever imagined. You know, it wasn't until the late 1800s that man had a boat, a ship, ocean-going, that was of equal size. It was that many years later. This thing was enormous. 
This barge, and that's really what it was, it had no steering mechanism, was 440 feet long, 73 feet wide, 44 feet high with three decks. You say, well, my Bible says a cubit. And in the old days, this is how they measured a cubit. You took a man's arm from this point to the tip of his middle finger. That was one cubit. Typically, it's called about 18 inches. And so that way you can translate those numbers. This thing is enormous. It's a football field and a half long. It's enormous, this thing. It took 120 years to build it. Uh, uh, Noah and his sons built this thing while they preached, while nobody repented and all perished. Well, since the dinosaurs survived the flood, Job is after the flood. What happened to them? Well, the collapse of this pre-flood vapor barrier in 711, cold air struck them in the face coming off the ark, and many of them died during what would now be then the Ice Age. In that period of time, the freezing of the caps and the warming at the equator. Unless they were in subtropical, tropical places like the Jordan River, Job 40, they perished. And we will never miss some of them. Now let's, uh, let's look at T-Rex, okay? And we will not miss this, this creature. Let's be glad that he's gone forever. Where did I? There they are. Okay. <laughs> well, that's one you'd put on your child's bed. But uh, let's see a picture. Thank you, Jen and Jay. Let's see what they really looked like. This incredible, the mighty T-Rex uh, was probably the greatest most terrible killing machine that ever walked the face of the earth. Tyranno means tyrant. Saurus means lizard. King means king. Tyrannosaurus rex means king of the tyrant lizard. Certainly every man and animal on earth was afraid of, of him. This uh, king tyrant lizard was 15 feet tall when standing up right on his hind legs a tall man standing next to the Tyro Rex would just reach his knee. His hind feet were equipped with enormous claws. Each foot covered more than seven square feet. That is as large as a huge uh, truck tire. He had a big stride. He could cross an average room in one step. His back legs were strong and heavy, but his front ones were small and stunted. His head was six feet long, as long as the average size table. His eye sockets were so large that a man could put his head through them. Scientists have classified the Tyrannosaurus rex as a carnivore, a carnivore, I mean, which means that he ate meat. He had 66-inch 60, long teeth. Get it now, okay? 60 of them, the size of bananas, sharp as a razor, like a steak knife. He'd slice right through whatever it was he was eating. He may have eaten soft foods as well. If this monster lost a tooth, he'd grow another one in its place, just like modern-day sharks and their line of teeth and the growing of them. Enormous. Tyrannosaurus rex had a jaw so big he could have swallowed you whole. In fact, he could swallow more meat in one mouthful than four human beings could eat in a month. His stomach was so huge that he could eat enough at one time to wait a week or more between meals. 
They've calculated, scientists have calculated that this beast ate more than 40 tons of meat a year. Tyro Rex. Wow. Good riddance. Thank you, Lord, that he is gone. Well, where did, where you say, you may say, okay, well, but where did the dinosaur bones come from? Where are these uh, tens of thousands of bones? Where did they come from that, they, that archaeologists and geologists stumble upon and scientists say, where did they come from? The answer is really simple. They're the ones that missed the boat. Smashed and buried instantly, forever. You see, to make a fossil, you can't have an animal just fall on the ground. Other animals, scavengers, will come and pick them clean. You know how that works, right? Then open the cave, will rot their bones and pretty well their dust. To find uh, skeletons that fossilize, even as we have found the woolly mammoths with food still in their mouth, they were struck instantly with the universal deluge of water that came in the judgment of Noah's flood and buried by the hundreds and thousands of them, buried under water and soil and sediment, only later to be found by us as a living testimony that God means what he says and says what he means. That in 120 years, I'm going to destroy all that live on the face of the earth except that which is in the ark and eight human beings. That's the message of the ark. That's the message of fossils. And Jesus had no problem with that in Matthew 27, 37, 38. In the Olivet Discourse, when he said the conditions of our day and people's rebellion and rejection of God's word would be the same as in Noah's day. And Peter said the same thing. God is patient that he waited 120 years before judgment fell, but then it fell in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. Finally then, number three, and quickly, why do scientists, many anyway, who study the dinosaurs reject the biblical text as to the truthfulness of ultimate origins, the universal flood of Noah? I urge you, go to a museum. And many, and all of us, I'm sure, have been there. Read the little signs that they put up near the bones of these creatures. And then go ask the curator of the museum, how do they know that they're 65 million years old? How do they know that? There was nobody there at that point. How do you know that? Suggest it was a carbon-14. Did you test that? We hear a lot about that. And uh, uh, he'll tell you no. He said uh, carbon-14 is not reliable in determining the the, uh, calcium bone deposits and determining their age. Calcium bone deposits do not yield that kind of information. No, we don't get it from calcium from uh, carbon-14. He may then say to you, but we know the age of the bone by the age of the rock that it came from. Yet, uh, I'm reminded that it's not an igneous rock that would come from a lava flow. Obviously, that would destroy anything that came in contact with it. That bone would dissolve in the intense heat of that lava flow. No, the rock, these fossil bones 
were found in what is called sedimentary rock. That is rock that is made from flowing and moving and settling water. The heavier particles settling first, and then the lighter ones on top of that, layer upon layer upon layer. Go to the Grand Canyon and discover part of the great runoff of our continent was as a result of the runoff from Noah's flood and the judgment of God. That's where all that came from. He might say, well, we know the age of the bone because we know the age of the rock it came from. Oh, are you able to test and verify with scientific accuracy the age of the rock with carbon-14 or something else? Well, no, we're not able to do that. You see, no, we, we can't do that. But since you keep asking, let me then further say that we know the age of that rock by the bone that we found in it. You go, now wait a minute. You can't date the rock because it yield, it's sedimentary rock. You have no way of verifying that in a scientific way. Right, but you say you know the age of the, of the rock because of the bone that was found in there. Yes, that's right. That's what we do. Well, that makes no sense. Well, I can see that you're concerned about such things. And so let me tell you this, that nearly a hundred years ago, we who study such things as this in geology, we, we developed what is called the geological column of timetable. And it's in every science book that every student, every study, there it is, all the different ages, the Mesozoic age, that's the dinosaur age, and all these ages, one after the other after We will study these things, put these things into a column, and therefore we, 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 we're making an, a, a sort of educated guess when this lived and that lived and that lived. And so when we find a certain bone, we go to our column and we say, that's when they lived. And that's why our museum says that they're 35 million years old. You see? For reptiles to become mammals, to become apes, to become human beings, well, you see, that just can't happen overnight. And at that moment, if he's honest and you're humble, he has just confessed to you his religion. Did you catch that? He has. Because his whole approach to earth history is based on what he thinks is the truthfulness of evolution. It is a whole faith system. Don't be duped. Don't be, don't be uh, made off in this, in this Ponzi scheme that somehow that's science and Christianity is faith and, and that's sort of way over here, but we really deal with hard facts. There's not a single fact. There's not a single bone of some animal growing into something else, fossilized. Do you know that? Not a single one. And if that's the case, there would be loaded with them. There's not a single one. It's a faith system. And as Ken Ham and others say, I don't have enough faith to believe in that system. No way. Impossible. It's a faith system that worships time and chance. 
Don't you think, given just enough time and enough probability of chance that most anything could happen? And there it is. That's the religious system of the evolutionists. Now, I don't think that you and I are called to straighten everyone out on this. Please don't do that. But we are called to know the Scriptures, and we're called to be men and women that understand the time. And we're to be humble and gentle and to give an answer to everyone of the hope that's within us. I've said in university classes, I've said in public, I never felt it was my calling to correct a teacher or to correct all the students. So be careful with the way you handle that. But one-on-one, and that's still the best. Open the Word of God and pray, and the Spirit of God may save them and give them light and to embrace the world that God made. This world is glorious and it's great. Wow. One other thing, since it's in the newspaper, carbon fuels. You often hear that, don't you? Carbon fuels. What are carbon fuels? What are some of them? Coal. What's another one? Oil. What's another one? Natural gas. That's right. Carbon means they lived at one time. You don't get carbon from inorganic things. They lived. Carbon is only in living things. Buried, smashed. Where did the oil coming up? They were plants and vegetation and all that that once lived and got buried by the universal flood. That's where the oil comes from. That's where the coal comes from in Pennsylvania. The lush green earth that once was. Well, lessons for life, number one, will be done. Number one, the greatest issue here is is not the dinosaurs. The greatest issue here is the trustworthiness of your Bible. You can trust it. You can. You ought to have great confidence in it. Not a book of science, but when God speaks on it, He speaks, and it's true. You can trust your Bible. Don't be duped by the avalanche of satanic deception going on. Number two, know that evolution is not based on facts. They hate that when you say that, you know. They hate it when you say the theory of evolution. They've all embraced it walking into the dark as if it's absolutely true. All scientists everywhere, nonsense, fools. God's not impressed. There's great academic pressure to, to, to capitulate in these things. And it's sad to see even some of our Christian colleges and universities give way on some of these things. Not me. Not me. And not you, I hope. It's a religious system. It's a faith system. At the very core. Number three. Dinosaurs magnify the glory and the power of God who made those terrible lizards. They glorify God. We have no idea what they look like. Who would ever know that a zebra would be so beautifully uh, colored with those uh, the black and the white by looking at bones? And they were probably beautiful. And if we're right, they were ectotherms, cold-blooded reptilian, and I think we're right. The colors must have been beautiful. It shouts the glory and the power of God. Number four, no matter what the issue, always issues of life, be humble, pray, and search the Word of God for answers. 
and the only book God ever gave, the Holy Scriptures. That's our approach to everything, to be Bereans. Be humble, be prayerful, search the Word, be careful. We live in a world that hates God and hates His Christ. It's a world of extinction and death. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. God is judged once, and He's going to judge again. Number five and last, judgment. God judged the world in Noah's day, and God will judge again. There's only one way of escape, and that's through the judgment of Christ on Calvary. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the maker of the dinosaurs. And if you have never trusted him as your Savior, you're lost and blind and under death. And hell is a long time without any release. And heaven can be yours by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. You bore the judgment at Calvary that I deserved. Thank you for opening heaven to me. I don't deserve it. It's all of you. It's the gift of God. Oh, would you do that? If I can help in any way in that, I'm here to do that. Wow. Well, what about those crazy dinosaurs? Aren't you glad they're gone? None of you have Dean old pets at home? Some people walk around with pit bows, uh, those pit bulls. Yeah, I wonder about those kind of folks. Not about the dog, but uh, do you have one? Bless your heart. I'm not worried about you. Just keep them away. I get nervous. I said, <laughs> and every master, have you ever noticed that with dogs? Oh, he won't hurt you, and he's showing teeth, right? Yes, like, yeah, 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 okay. Wow, oh my. No dinosaurs today. No T-Rexes. They'd eat us for lunch, maybe. Praise God. He's great. You can trust God's Word. It's wonderful. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.